Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. I haven't met you. I'm Viv, and uh, along with Steve, we get to lead this rowdy rabble. So um, it's really good to, to be here. I love having Battersea and Balaam together this morning as well. It's great. And just welcome to those online or listening in however long to a podcast. It's good to just all be together and hear the Word of God. Um, Mike started off last week with our new sermon series. Um, we looked at, he looked at God's, uh, John's presentation of Jesus through what he calls signs. And these signs are, in effect, signposts. And they point us to Jesus, and in particular, the purpose of his ministry. And Mike talked about the first sign being when Jesus turned water into wine and um, how it points towards the feast of the age to come. And I'd really encourage you to catch up on that if you haven't listened to it already. And so the, in, the, in the passage of scripture that we're going to read today, we'll see another one of what John calls signs. So what is the second sign pointing to, Viv, I hear you ask? What is it, Viv? Well, Will mentioned this stat in his preach the other week where he said that research from 2011 found that telling people how a film ended increased their enjoyment of that film by 10%. And so to increase your enjoyment today, if that's even possible, um, I'm going to give you the punchline of today's talk. So the second sign, punchline, come on. Second sign is a sign of Jesus' supreme authority over sickness time, and geography. Pretty amazing, hey? Authority over sickness, time, and geography. So now your appetite is whetted. Let's go. Um, what's interesting in this miracle is also it's also set in Cana in Galilee, which is where Jesus did the first sign of turning the water into wine. And after he did this miracle, he then traveled south to Jerusalem where he performed loads of miracles. He then went back north and he went through Samaria and he had a successful time there. And now Jesus is back in Galilee, um, which is the area he grew up with. And so the Galileans were really excited because this local boy had become a bit of a celebrity. And so many of them had been in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of the Passover and they'd seen him turf the greedy moneymakers out of the temple and perform miracles. And they're suitably impressed you know, everybody loves a local celebrity, don't they? But Jesus knew that the welcome was only skin deep. To most of the Galileans, he was nothing more than a, like a Darren Brown kind of figure. You know, the one that does all the illusions and the magic tricks. And so Jesus wasn't particularly enthusiastic about their welcome. He wasn't really impressed by it. Probably a lesson for us all in the celebrity-driven culture that we have at the moment. And so the last time he was in Cana was for a wedding. But this time he meets a much more somber event, as we're going to see. You know, we have weddings and we have funerals. We have joys and we have sorrows. And Jesus' presence makes a difference at both. He's the one that you want at the party, and he's the one that you want in your desperation. So let's read our passage. If you want to turn to John 4, if you have a Bible, or the words are going to come up on the screen. How's that font size? Wouldn't quite work for me. Um, with my visual problems. 
Um, well, this is the invitation to bring your own Bible, because then you will be able to read it for yourself. <laughs> Large print I need, yes. So John 4, 43 to 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he'd turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And wherever, wherever we're in John's gospel, I, I think it's really helpful to remember what John tells us at the end of his gospel as to why he wrote the book. So this is why he wrote John. And he says in John 20, 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of, the, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John's whole purpose of writing this book was so that we would have faith in Jesus, that we would believe. And our passage today is all about faith. That's what the whole point is. How does faith grow? And through this story of the official, God shows us that there's this progression of faith, which I want to show you. There's this journey of faith. And so this journey plays itself out in three stages. First stage is true faith in Jesus brings us to him. It's reasonable. True faith in Jesus brings us to him. It's reasonable. Second, true faith in Jesus takes him at his word, is trusting. And the third one is true faith in Jesus settles our hearts in him, it's transforming. So I want to look at each one of those stages today. So let's look at the first one. True faith in Jesus brings us to him, it's reasonable. We'll, we'll miss so much of what's going on here if we don't see the beginnings of faith in this man. And that's how it starts for all of us. So we pick up the story in Cana in Galilee, as I said, and there's a man who's a royal official from Capernaum whose son was ill. And during this time, Herod was the kind of king of Galilee. And so this man was likely somebody in Herod's court. Um, he's a centurion, as it were, but it's likely that it's not the same centurion that was in Matthew and Luke's gospel, but he was similar in status. Now, Capernaum was about 20 miles away from, from uh, Cana. 20 miles is nothing to us. I, I just want to ask, is anybody here, has anyone, or has anyone come here from more than 20 miles away this morning? Yes. <laughs> Lovely. We're not right this morning, surely, Josiah. But yes, more than 20 miles. It's not really that far, is it? 
like for us, it doesn't mean a lot. But, you know, he didn't have a car. There weren't any trains. There weren't any aeroplanes. Um, probably no line bikes. Um, and so 20 miles wasn't really an easy distance to travel. It was probably about a five or a six hour walk. But this man was desperate. His son was dying and he had no more answers. And in the middle of his sorrow and his anxiety over his son, he heard about Jesus and he came to him for help. And so we see this first stage, this first leg of the journey of faith for this man. The official heard and he came. And that's how faith starts, isn't it? We hear something about Jesus and we sense that there's maybe something that this guy has for us. Something that I need. It's reasonable. It's thought through. It's the first step. And we see in this official, these are the first steps of faith. He heard that Jesus was able to do things that nobody else could do. And he started thinking, you know, maybe Jesus could do something for me. He was desperate. There was a desperation that brought him to Jesus. And many of us might have come to Jesus in a similar way. You know, through at the end of our rope, literally nothing else to do, no other options. And the official had no other answers. You know, the doctors couldn't do anything else at this point. Nothing was working. So he went to somebody that he knew had done something amazing. So that's how faith starts. It starts really simply. It starts with just hearing truth and taking a step forward. John tells us he heard and went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son. And then Jesus' response in verse 48 is a little bit interesting. It's a little bit surprising. It's not what I would have expected and probably not what he was expecting either. So verse 48, it says... Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. It's not very sympathetic of Jesus, is it? It seems a little bit harsh. But he's not just talking to this official. He's talking to everybody there, everyone in Galilee, which was his hometown. But why is he saying this to everyone? Because in, in, we see in verse 44, Jesus says, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. But then in verse 45, we see that they did, in fact, welcome him home. So he's not welcome, but he is welcome. So what, you know, what's going on? But they welcomed Jesus for what he could do, but they didn't welcome him for who he was. And that's the big difference. And we, we can't be too harsh on them. I mean, they've literally seen this little boy, Jesus, grow up. But Jesus is here and he's able to do more than they can think of or imagine, more than they can understand. And, and Jesus is saying, do you know what? My, si- my signs aren't just these neat little things to talk about. This isn't something to put on your Instagram story. These are revelations of God's glory. And the hometown just didn't accept these words. And so Jesus isn't, he's not really singling this guy out and being mean. He's, just, he's putting him in with everybody else. And he's saying, you people don't care about me for me. You just care about what I can do. And you're missing the whole point because of that. The official just saw Jesus as another doctor. Faith brought him to Jesus. But now what Jesus is starting to do is bring him all the way in. And he's about to heal much more than his son's fever. And this is amazing to me because, you know, if you put put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute... Um, you know, somebody's coming to you for help and they're, they're panicking and they're tears and they're overwhelmed and they're desperate. And it's so easy for us, isn't it? Well, I, I think I, I respond out of their anxiety. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's not caught up in our circumstances. He stands above them. And he can use them in ways that we have no idea about. 
It's just amazing. In every situation that we find ourselves in, Jesus works in ways that we might not expect and don't even realize it's possible. We don't have a God who answers us like a cosmic vending machine. But he comes and he graciously gives us us actually what we need when we're too hard-headed or we're too anxious or we're too focused on something else. We don't even know what we really need. You know, maybe, maybe we don't have a sick son that needs healing. I pray that we don't. But we all have some need that only Jesus can meet. And the first step of faith is simply to come and ask him for help. But when we come to Jesus and say, I need you to do this, what we're actually doing in our own hearts and minds is limiting Jesus. We're saying, you can do this, but no more. This is, this is what you need to do. And that's not how Jesus works. It's not, it, it's not how he engages with us. This man wanted Jesus to come to his house, I guess because he thought Jesus needed to be there in order to heal his son, which isn't a stupid idea at all. You kind of think that makes sense, doesn't it? But Jesus had another way to heal. And this official wasn't even aware of that category. So will we allow, to, will we, will we allow Jesus to deal with us on his terms? Will we allow him on his terms? Will we trust him to handle things his way? I, I don't think I'm very good at this. Uh, our daughter, Abby, had a year out of uni at the beginning of last year. And I was telling God that she needed to do this discipleship year in South Africa. And um, when she didn't sign up for a January start, I was really cross with God. Um, I remember ranting in my journal to him, really complaining that he didn't know what he was doing. Um, And then she signed up for the summer program instead. And I was happy, but I was just like, God, but she could have been there for the whole year. Um, And, you know, after loads of sighs, plenty of eye rolls, I, you know, I surrendered to God, like really, not very happily, Um, decided, you know, maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe. Anyway, she had a major encounter with God within the first couple of weeks of being there. She accelerated so rapidly in her walk with God. She got baptized when we went to visit her there and has just fallen in love with Jesus so deeply. It's, it's just been extraordinary to watch. Fast forward a year, and over these past couple of weeks, she started a discipleship year with her church in Loughborough, the very same program that Steve and I met on like 30 years to the day ago. And she's just started a part-time job as a children's and family worker at her church, obviously after, vowed, after having vowed never to work for a church, like most of us do. Um, and honestly, the, the way that God works with such incredible patience, with unbelievable kindness, the way that he brings things around full circle, it just blows my mind. But it's not the way I would do it. Even, even this last week, as I was telling Ruth, who heads up all our creative media, She said that um, Abby was part of her own story in coming to London. So she was in South Africa and had prayed one day in June for confirmation that she should come to London. And that very day, Abby arrived and said, oh, I'm from London. And Ruth wasn't even thinking about moving to London in January, which is when I thought she should go. And so if Abby had gone then, which obviously would have made a lot more sense in my mind, It wouldn't have meant anything to Ruth. And God just sees this whole bigger picture. We have such a strong idea, don't we, of the outcomes that we think are right, don't we? 
I absolutely thought I knew best and knew that, thought that God just needed to catch up with me. I wanted a particular outcome rather than trusting the character of God. And when I didn't get the outcome I wanted, it made me question whether I could trust him. And I think this is what Jesus was trying to get at with the royal official and the crowds in Galilee. You just want the outcomes, the miracles. You don't actually want me. So this official has come to Jesus, and that's the first step. But then look at verse 50. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. So Jesus spoke, and the man went. Jesus didn't do what the man requested. He asked him, he'd asked him to come to his house. But Jesus said to, to him, no, I don't need to go. I said your son will live, and he will live. But, so you can go, but I'm going to stay. And the man did the most amazing thing. He believed him. He trusted him. And he turned and went on his way. And this is the end of the conversation. He didn't kind of press Jesus again to come with him. Because at that moment, he actually fully trusted in Jesus' word. He had confidence that his son would live because Jesus said he would live. And so you see here, his faith is starting to grow. It's starting to blossom. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him. He had his, in his heart the kind of trust that took Jesus at his word. So, do, I mean, do we trust Jesus like this official? Our, our faith might start with reasonableness. It starts by thinking things through. We might come to Jesus because we want a specific outcome. We've heard what he can do. And that's okay. That's, like, that's a good starting point, but it's not enough. Your faith has to move from this place of I'm going to try this out to this place of deep trust. We have, to, we have to come. That's the first step. But we have to move to the second step, which is true faith in Jesus takes him at his word. It's trusting. Do we trust him? Do we place our faith in the person of Christ? Not even in the work of Christ, but in his character. Do you trust him? And there's a difference, isn't there, between trusting what somebody can do and trusting them, their character, their word. It's the key to faith, trusting him. Jesus can do amazing things. He can perform miracles, but it is Jesus himself who matters most. And when you realize that, when your faith grows from this place of reasonableness to this place of trust, something else starts to happen. Something wonderfully unexpected, which is our third point here. True faith, true faith in Jesus settles our heart in him. It's transforming. Look at what happens to this official. Verse 51 to 53, it tells us, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. So it was at 1 p.m. the day before. This is the following day when he's going home. So at 1 p.m. the day before, Jesus said, your son will live. Why is that important? I mean, it's just important that he was healed, isn't it? Who really cares what time it was? But I think it's really important because it confirms that this faith, the man's faith is in God's word, in Jesus' word. As soon as Jesus said his son would live, he started to live again. 
And his disciples telling him that the time just confirmed to him that he wasn't wrong in, in literally thinking that Jesus actually did it. It's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus can do that? It's amazing. He just said it. Jesus didn't even have to go to his house. Didn't have to perform a little song and a dance or anything like that. His word is authoritative. And you remember the spoiler? It shows his supreme authority over sickness, over time, and over geography. Jesus' word is effective. What he says is true. It does happen. And that has massive implications for us today. If Jesus said it, it's as good as done. And so when you read your Bible and you notice there's a promise there from God, you know what that means. It means that it will come to pass. It's not just a plan, it's, it's certainty. And in, because God stands outside of time and geography, it's already done. Secondly, and I think this detail is important because it says something else about this man's faith. Think about it this way. If it was 1 p.m. When he, when he got to Jesus, had that conversation, Jesus said, your son will be well. He's 20 miles away from home. He's probably walked all morning to get there. It's, and I, I, don't know, I don't know what the, the time of year it was, but just to say, just for example, say it's 1 p.m. on October the 8th, even though the nights are drawing in, I think he had time to go home that day. It was 1 p.m. I think he could have easily just turned around and walked the distance back home. But he goes the next day. His son is dying. You know, he came to Jesus in this ball of anxiety, desperately needing help. So why didn't he rush home? Because Jesus said his son was fine. He could see him tomorrow. It wasn't as even he could just send a quick text message or do a quick FaceTime call back home just to check. He just came, he came in such anxiety that he met Jesus and he believed his word. And that's the third point, isn't it? That, we, that this faith in Jesus, it settles our heart in him. It, it's transforming. His anxiety was gone. His heart was calm again. He was utterly transformed. They changed from this anxious father into a calm one. And we're, you know, we're probably all in the same position in some ways. Uh, we all have anxieties. We feel the weight of worry. We have fears of tomorrow or burdens or responsibilities that are a lot. But Jesus has spoken. His gospel rings out. You can rest. You can rest. We have to trust him that he will work everything out for our good. I don't understand a lot of what happens. There's so much mystery I really don't understand. But I do trust him. I trust the creator of the universe that he knows what's going on. It's, it's the only way to live, guys. It's the only way to live. It's too hard any other way. And so when faith goes from reasonableness to trust, it leads to peace. When you trust Jesus, when you really trust him, you're transformed from someone who's always worried to someone who lives from a place of peace. Not because you, trust, not because you know the outcome, but because you trust your father. It doesn't mean that we never worry. We do, I do. But it just means we don't have to anymore. There's some freedom there, isn't there? Like underneath the entirety of your life, 
at the everlasting arms of Jesus. You can rest there. You can rest. And what's incredible as well is that the faith of the father then leads to the faith of the whole household. Verse 53 says, so he and his whole household believed. And that's amazing. Jesus healed more than a fever. He healed an entire family, an entire household. And in that day, a household meant far more than just the immediate family. You know, those servants that came to meet him, they're included. It was a far greater miracle than the official actually asked for. As we circle around the runway, coming into land, but not yet, um, we have to consider what John is saying to us in verse 54. He says, this is the second sign that, that Jesus did after he came from Judea to Galilee. Jesus had done other miracles um, by this point, but John highlights this as the second sign. Why? So C.S. Lewis says that miracles are more than just powerful acts. And he's absolutely right. They're demonstrations of who Jesus is. They're signs. Every time Jesus does a miracle, it's for us to see more of him. They don't, imp- they don't just impress us, but they teach us. They not only show us God's power, they show us God's character. And they help us learn to trust him because his miracles are never just cool tricks. They're revelations of God's glory, of his goodness, of his salvation. It's, it's so easy, isn't it, to want Jesus as a rent payer, as a spouse bringer, as a healer of sickness, as a helper in times of taking exams, as a repairer of marriages. And in his own way, Jesus will be all of those things. But if our faith is simply this kind of self-centered, bless me in my problems kind of faith, it's just low-level faith. To merely remain loyal to someone because my needs are met is the essence of selfishness and superficiality. We may learn about him because he helps us in some crisis, but then our faith must rise to a higher level of faith, a faith that leads to trusting him rather than the outcomes. So Jesus' miracle is this sign of his supreme authority, spoiler, over sickness, time, and geography. His word intrinsically carries authority and power to fulfill itself. But what he longs for in that is for us to trust him. And sometimes I just think we're not present enough to see the activity of love that constantly is embedded into our lives. There is a good, loving father who's involved in our stories and who sees a much bigger picture And he sees our tragedies and suffering that happens and actually cares. And I want to encourage us today to to start taking the risks of trust, the risks of trust, as incremental as they are, but stay inside the grace of today and respond respond to what's actually in front of us. Grace and trust are always present tense. You don't get grace for the things that don't exist trust is only active to what's actually in front of you and so don't future trip don't kind of think how is this all going to work out how is this all going to be resolved when you're present you'll start to see that you're not only surrounded by enough for today but you'll begin to see the activity of God that you would be oblivious to if you weren't present It's this sure and certain sense that I'm inside this embrace 
and that it's going to be okay. And it doesn't mean to say our circumstances are easy. It doesn't mean that there isn't tragedy. But this is much deeper than this. This is the river that runs beneath it. We don't know how much we're loved. That's, what, that's where the work is. That becomes the journey. But in that, take the risk to tell God the truth. Like, you know, I'm scared. I don't know if I have enough money to pay my rent. I don't know how this is going to work out. Tell God the truth. Confessing is just telling the truth. Don't tell God what you think he wants to hear so that you have a formula and so that God needs to perform in order to be the genie. I want to end by um, reading a poem. This really is coming into end. But I want to end by reading a poem. And at the risk of offending anyone, I don't really like poems. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? They just don't really do it for me. I, I normally switch off. <laughs> but... I heard this poem on a po podcast re recently and it just moved me in a way that I've never quite experienced before through poetry. And it's by a guy called David Tenson and it's called Kind of Way. And it's a conversation that he's having with God. And so can I just invite you to close your eyes and listen to this and imagine that this is your own conversation with God. I know that you know, so I should probably confess it. Not because it's a bad thing, but because it's normal and necessary to admit. You've disappointed me and continue to. Though I don't mind as much now. Still, there were many times I prayed, followed the rules, gave my two mites, did all the things I, would told, I was told would work, and others certified with charismatic conviction to do more, give more, faith more, sacrifice more. Lots more. But still, nothing. No breakthrough like I believed, like I prayed for. I underestimated you. I wanted to believe that you were containable, constrainable, and reliable in the my way kind of way. The magician, hitman, slot machine, deal maker, earth shaker, genie in a bottle kind of way. Then I recalled that on a dark but necessary day, you took yourself and my kind of way and the cosmos to a cross. Then you went missing for three days and my world fell apart. All my hope exhaled a forsaken surrender and my heart broke and my dreams broke. My kind of way kind of died again. And there you were, alive and the same, but not really a resurrected form of you that even took familiar friends by surprise. And that's what you keep doing. To this day, you keep failing and disappointing me in the best kind of ways. Every time I think I've got you where I think I need you, you disappoint and disappear and turn up incognito on a familiar path, at a regular meal, in an average garden, with a spark in your eye that demands my attention. You invite me again to put my hand in your side, embrace you and kiss you, and get to know you again in a new kind of way. Can I just invite the band to come up as we respond today? I think there are two main things today to respond to. 
And the, the first is just to come to God as the official did today, needing a breakthrough. Do you need, what do you need a breakthrough in today, whether it's finances, job, health, relationships, whatever it is? He has authority over geography, over time, over sickness. He just needs to speak the word. And I believe there's breakthrough here for people today. And then the second thing I just really feel is that we need to repent of not trusting him. Where we've looked for the outcomes rather than, the, rather than him. Where we've been disappointed and that's just led to a lack of trust. And so as we carry on worship, just can I invite you to come to the front? We'd love to pray with you um, as we just respond to those two things and more. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.